The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at McCarthy 74 On this week's show, resident Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie joins me to review a pulsating British GP, including a death-defying crash, Carlos Sainz's victory for Ferrari, and Lewis Hamilton back to his best. AFLW expert and Irish coach Mike Curran is on the Big Red Bench with all the latest AFLW news, including the announcement of Season 7.0's fixtures and much, much more. I get reaction from the Cork Camogie Senior and Intermediate Camps following qualification for their All-Ireland Championship semi-finals. We hear from Cork Under-16 manager Donny Daly and Echo columnist Mary Newman. Cork LGFA Senior Captain Maura O'Callan and manager Shane Ronane speak to me ahead of the Rebels TG Car All-Ireland LGFA Championship quarter-final with Mayo. And we preview Cork's Under-16 All-Ireland final against Dublin with Rebels manager Dominic Gallagher. That's all to come on this week's Women in Sport podcast. The Big Red Bench's Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie joined me to review the most action-packed Grand Prix of the season, the British GP. Explain how an heroic halo prevented a dark day at Silverstone following a terrifying crash, Carlos Sainz saving himself from Ferrari mismanagement to take his first win in F1, and Lewis Hamilton showing class with formidable driving in the face of huge public adversity. Now it is our weekly Formula One slot with our resident expert here on the Big Red Bench, Sarah McKenzie and Oh my days is the only thing I can say. What a race we have to talk about. Sarah, enough with the pleasantries in the intros. Have you calmed down after the British Grand Prix? That's the first question because I was getting just, worried there on Twitter. Yeah, just about. I was frantically tweeting as I was jumping up and down uh, in my living room, screaming at the telly and I had the windows open. I'd say the neighbours were slightly <laughs> concerned. Um, no, I just couldn't get over the excitement. Like what... A race it was just it was just brilliant obviously very scary moment at the beginning but after that it was just fantastic the whole way yeah let's talk about that scary moment at, at the beginning because the halo um the the, the halo that was the much debated halo which the, mm. uh, sits on top of the cockpit which the drivers uh are their 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 view basically is is distorted because of it but it came to the rescue it saved the life uh following a terrifying crash on the very first lap Take us through your, your your take on this and and uh, and and how Zhu Guan Yu uh, is still alive. Yeah, I mean, like he said it himself afterwards on social media, but the halo absolutely saved him. There had been another very scary crash in the F two race earlier on in the day as well, where again the halo saved another life. I mean, we literally could have come, we could have been coming out of the Silverstone weekend talking about two drivers who had not made it, which is absolutely terrifying to think that that would still happen. Um, in 2022 but I mean essentially it was you know we see these mad incidents after after the start all the time but essentially it was just a case of Pierre Gasly sandwiched himself in between Joe Guanyu and George Russell and by the time he had realized what was going to happen that they weren't going to fit into the first corner it was too late because he had already clipped Russell who then spearheaded essentially into Joe Guanyu who I think, you know, it was shocking, actually, how easily the car flipped um, when when he was spearheaded into. And essentially, he was just rotating the entire way from essentially the track all the way through the gravel. He hit the tire barrier, flipped over the tire barrier. And actually, the fencing that sort of separates the, the tire barrier from the fans was the only thing that really caught him. And it was also the only thing that saved the fans, because if that car had kept going we would have had a very, very ugly, sad, 
um, day after that. It was absolutely terrifying. As, as bad as the crash was, uh, Sarah, the, there is a lot of runoff there on our first corner that wasn't always yeah. there. So that kind of saved him as well in that as he was upside down and skidding at whatever number 100 miles an hour. Yeah. But the, the worrying thing is that he still was able to flip. And they talked about this afterwards um, and the analysis. They were saying, how is it that he can flip and then clear the tyres and nearly go into the crowd? I mean, there was a couple of people actually in the, in the space between the wiring and the crowd and then with the tyres out. There was people in there, probably uh, stewards and people that would be mm-hmm. moving in that area. One guy was just crouching down. If that wire wasn't there, he was dead. So. Yep. Is there is there, there's obviously an inquiry needed here, and and uh, the, he was saved by the halo in his cockpit, but that shouldn't be happening. Like there should be a higher barrier there at the very least, surely. Yeah, I think there's definitely a case for that, and um, you know the other crash was caused by a sausage curb, which is another thing that is highly debated. A lot of people have very strong opinions on whether they should be on the track at all. And, you know, I think this is a big enough incident that it does, as you say, warrant a bit more investigation and, and a bit more, I suppose, thought put into the safety of fans. Obviously, we think about safety of drivers all the time, but as this incident has shown, fans aren't, and marshals, as you said, aren't always the safest either. So um, I think there's a, definitely a case to be made there to look into it further. Yeah, and just one final point on it. I found it, I shouldn't have, but I found it quite amusing on Twitter afterwards. Jean Todd, the great Jean Todd of Ferrari, who was there overseeing Michael Schumacher in his heyday, um, was quickly on Twitter to tell everybody that he was the one who uh, insisted that the halo be fitted onto the cockpit. And a few others as well, amazingly, came online. People I didn't even know that were on the F1 committee. It appears nobody ever had a problem with the halo. Um, which I thought it was like it was a bit distasteful actually that there, that there seemed to be kind of a rush to say oh by the way we put the, the halo on the mm-hmm. cockpit it's a Formula One thing it's all it's it's all kind of you know testosterone and male ego to be quite honest with you but I just especially with John Todd he didn't need to go on social media and say oh, by the way I was the one who pushed through the halo because look at that stage Zhu was still uh, be, being being assessed mm. I mean he was conscious and that was the good thing like but I mean it's just typical F1 like you know they can't just let things alone and let, let things uh, in a very serious incident like that but I found it amusing the number of people that were claiming you know we are the ones that brought through the halo and half of them half of them I know would have said no because it didn't look very nice but it saved lives in Silverstone and that is that is the main thing right that was the awful crash at the start but what a day for Ferrari as <laughs> a Ferrari as you saw my tweet going out Carlos Sainz won the British Grand Prix despite the most idiotic mismanagement yet again on the Ferrari pit wall. Please take me through it and give me your expert opinion. How Ferrari very nearly threw this away. And they very nearly threw it for both drivers mm. at different times, which is the really scary part for me. Like there were times where Leclerc could have won. There were times where Sides could have won. And thankfully for him, to an extent, he ignored the team orders, um, you know, with the restart oh, after the safety car. He was told over the radio, we want you to create a gap between Leclerc and Hamilton. We want you to keep the 10 car lengths, which is the regulation technically. Um, And he very rightly said, please don't ask me to do that. And he used the word stop inventing. It was as if they were trying to make it. It was almost like self-sabotage at times, to be honest. It was as if they were trying to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. It was so strange. And you know, the not pitting Charles Leclerc when they pitted science for the tyres. You know, Mattia Bonotto was asked uh, on Sky Sports afterwards about it and he was given the data as to how many seconds were available to pit both cars and he disputed it. He said at the time, that's not what we saw. 
it's just it's it's amazing even the you know there were a couple of times when the Claire and Science were obviously kind of fighting to a certain degree and they were giving one message to the Claire saying you're clear to fight and then they were telling Science here's your delta time if you don't if you don't hit it we're swapping the cars it was just it was bizarre it really was bizarre the whole thing and I think the drivers at this point seem to have more common sense and more ability to react to what's going on than the people do on the pit wall, which is not the way it should be. Absolutely, 100% agree with you. And like, it's not like the first time we've talked about Ferrari mismanagement. Yep. We could have a podcast just about that. <laughs> I felt for Leclerc. I yep. felt for him because they slowed it down afterwards. They showed him coming in around the pits when he could have come in, changed his tires, come back out, been on the same compound as everybody else, and he would have been, he would have been out of sight, probably. But that, and then the fact, as you said, they were trying to talk Carlos Sainz into basically sabotaging I mean, I, I just don't get it. Yeah. And but not afterwards, like the camera, the camera or, or the optics of him standing mm-hmm. over Leclerc uh, and, you know, and pointing and telling him, you know, clearly giving him the Ferrari company line. You do not say anything. And I was it, it was the one interview I waited for afterwards was Leclerc. <laughs> and he he told the party line. I would love yeah. just once that drivers were left off the hook and say what they really think, because I think it would make for much better product and much better TV. But here was a guy who'd been absolutely done out of it again, Leclerc. And I did feel for him. And I'm del- as happy and delighted as everybody in the paddock is for science. And oh my God, does this guy deserve a Formula One win? And he did it. And he did it in spite of his team. I really felt for Leclerc. Now, he's, he's not my favourite driver this year, but in Silverstone, he was really let down. I think he was let down more than science was. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I, I think they kind of, the team failed them both. But yeah, I feel like Charles, because of the tire situation, ended up further back than he would have expected and kind of further back than his performance to that point in the race would have dictated. It's at this point, he's had no podiums in the last five races. And this is a guy that at the start of the season, we were talking about like using words like unbeatable and, you know, supreme and like all of these things. And essentially, you couldn't you couldn't really apply that anymore, at least in the circumstances that he's been given. It's just not the truth. Yeah, and look, I don't. Obviously, I want to keep going about Ferrari. We can't keep going about Ferrari. Can't become a Ferrari pod, as somebody called it last week. Um, to me, in passing, but would Ferrari be further up the charts in the driving charts and the constructors' charts, Sarah, with two more consistent drivers? Even like, you know, I'm thinking George Russell. I'm thinking um, Perez, who had a fantastic race uh, for Red Bull as well. I know they've been mismanaged, Leclerc and Science. But there's been times when they've not helped themselves either and they had the machinery to do it. And I just wonder, would it's a hypothetical question, but at this point of the season, if Sainz and if Perez and Russell were in those Ferraris, would they be up near Verstappen? Personally, I don't think so. Um, I think there's been hints of this kind of thing, a Ferrari for longer than we've realised. I think Sebastian Vettel and his treatment there is a really solid example you don't really get a more consistent driver than Sebastian Vettel, um, you know, over the course of his career, arguably maybe Lewis, um, someone like that. But I think they're, they're at that level where it really takes a lot to put them off kilter. And Sebastian Vettel was all over the place at Ferrari. I think the problem is that the drivers, as was shown in the race this weekend, they don't trust the team, I don't think. I don't think they have that conviction in the you know what the messages that they're getting over the radio I don't think they really trust it and because of that I think they're almost double hatting and they're sort of like trying to manage their own race and as a result 
you know, that's not really their job. As a result, they're making mistakes. They're, you know, Carlos Sainz did make a mistake yesterday when he, when he was ahead of Verstappen. Um, I just think there's a huge problem with trust there. And I think that it's actually at the root of a lot of the issues that we're seeing. And I don't think that would necessarily be solved by driver consistency. Oh, that's a fair point. I take that one. I just want better drivers. I want to win one. <laughs> um, let's move on to, in fairness, for me, the driver of the day, Lewis Hamilton. And um, those last few laps when he was tying, there was himself, was it Leclerc? Uh, I think in Paris, I'm not too sure. There was, and then Alonso and a few others joined yep. them. And last, that tour, that four or five gap race was the best racing I've seen this year. Real high quality gutsy racing and no bad moves nobody making any crazy moves now there was a little bit of touching on occasions of wheels yep. but for me the moment when he came around i think with not cops but he came around onto the onto the straight and passed mm-hmm. the ferrari and took third place like was a brilliant yeah. bit of driving and considering what that guy had to deal with with nelson's peak is unbelievably ignorant comments earlier in the week and thankfully he was kicked out of the paddock and thankfully he was removed mm-hmm. from the British uh, thing and he still struggled to even apologise for it and that I, I know how angry you are about that I am too yeah. but let's give some credit to the driver Lewis Hamilton because I don't tend to but like in fairness to him with the machinery and the upgrades they had he couldn't really done much better although I got the impression Sarah he wasn't too happy at the end I think he thinks there was a chance there was an opportunity wasted here yeah, so he wanted to be on the mediums. Um, he had had his best into the race on the mediums and he felt that he would have been, that would have kind of given him the best position to be as racy as possible. And you did see, you know, after the safety car, he didn't get as good a start as he was hoping for. And it did maybe compromise him a little bit. I, I don't know. There was kind of maybe 12 laps at that point and there was so much racing. I think it's kind of, it's hard to tell, but he did flag a concern. Um there but yeah I mean he's really been the sort of epitome of grace and dignity you know particularly in this last week or so I you know the fans were cheering the loudest I've heard in a long time when he made that move that you mentioned and you really could see just how much he means to the sport and he took the high road as he always does it was lovely to see his dad and his brother were there that's a real sign that you know they're the family is kind of um, gathering it around him to support him and look I, I don't really know what we're going to do when he retires it's going to be a it's going to be a, a, a potentially dangerous time for the sport and a lot of people have said to me this week you know I did put out a video about the the PK comments and and the future of F1 without Lewis Hamilton a lot of people have said to me diversity wise they only watch it because of him you know he brings in an audience that no other driver can bring in and on top of that, he's obviously a seven-time world champion. I think he did an amazing job at the weekend. And I think it shows if he and George Russell had both been on track, I think it would have been formidable. I think we could have seen a real um, a real Mercedes result, but it was fab to see him on podium nonetheless. Might this be the reinvigoration, he said, for want of a better term, that Lewis needed to go again and really go for it? 100%, 100%. I was just looking at um, Dad before we came on that consistently Mercedes were actually, they had the best pace over the weekend at Silverstone. Wow. Um, and that would not have been necessarily expected, obviously, based on their form to date this season. So I think, you know, we have four races in the space of five weeks now in July. They have the potential to really build on this momentum. As I say, with both cars on track, I think they could be very dangerous. A word on Red Bull, because it kind of got lost. Mm. Sergio Perez, a very, very good race. And Max not having the best day. Yeah, he unfortunately um, 
I believe it was Pierre Gasly's end plate. Basically, some of it got stuck under his under Max's car and was affecting the floor. And as we know, the floor is kind of one of the most important pieces of the car aerodynamically, especially this year. And he was just essentially as soon as that happened, he had kind of resigned himself that that was the end of his race. Um, you know, we saw Mick Schumacher very nearly yeah. uh, overtaking him at the very end. And uh, Esteban Ocon got a pass on him as well, which obviously normally you wouldn't see. So I think, yeah, he was definitely uh, not a happy camper for sure. Um, a word for Mick Schumacher, because th- th- that duel mm. with, uh, with uh, that brilliant with Vettel nearly, and I know how much father figure is, that Liz is to Schumacher, but really good racing. And first point? First points in Formula One, yeah. It was absolutely thrilled for him. Again, he had family there, um, which was great. And I just, you know, we've all been kind of talking about is his spot in jeopardy? Like, when is he going to get his result? And he's come so close a couple of times now, and I was absolutely uh, thrilled for him that he got his points. Excellent stuff. Yes, it was the race of the year. By far the best race of the year in terms of racing and instant apart, obviously, from that horrible crash. And it leaves us at the end of that race at the 2020, uh, 2022 standings in the F1 Drivers' Championship. Max Verstappen on 181 points for Red Bull. Sergio Perez, his teammate, on 147. Charles Leclerc on 138 in third. And in fourth place, Carlos Sainz following his fantastic win at Silverstone on 127. And then George Russell in the Mercedes rounding out the top five. And in the Constructors, it's as you were. Red Bull with 328. Ferrari with 265, closing the gap there. Mercedes up to 204, McLaren 73, and Alpine on 67 points as well. Um, Sarah, you know, it's very hard to look ahead and, and think you're going to get as good a race as that again. But what have we got to look forward to in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, well, as I said, four Grand Prix in the space of five weeks, it's kind of a mad dash really to the summer break. Um, I think it's going to be very competitive. I think there's a lot of teams, you know, obviously a lot of teams brought upgrades last, uh, last time for Silverstone we had a bit of wet kind of practice. So they'll be hoping for some more dry running to get the, their kind of the car under them a bit more. Um, I think it's going to be a really promising couple of weeks. It certainly is. Well, it's hard not to, you know, we could talk, we could talk for hours about <laughs> You haven't mentioned Tom Cruise turning up yet again at just about everything at the moment to promote his new Maverick movie, because every time they went to the bits, he was with some different team, bloody smiling into the camera. Anyway, it got to me because I was, you know, you know, gnawing my my uh, <laughs> Ferrari doesn't help, and Tom Cruise keeps smiling, and you want to see the race. Um, but yeah, it was one for the ages, definitely, and well done, Carlos Sainz and Ferrari. Well done, Lewis Hamilton as well. Third place, considering what he was went what he went through uh, coming into it, and that drive uh, gives me hope that we will see a bit more of Lewis on the podium between now and the end of the season. It's going to get very very busy in the next few weeks, and you can follow it all here with us on the Big Red Bench with our resident weekly expert chat with Sarah McKenzie. Sarah, before we let you go, where can we find your um, material online? Yeah, so if folks want to search my name, Sarah McKenzie, and if you add the hashtag Women in Motorsport on YouTube, it'll come up. I have two videos out in the last week. One, as I said, about Lewis's um, Lewis's future in the sport and what he's been dealing with. And then another one about Alpine's Race Her initiative that they announced on Thursday before the Grand Prix as well. Excellent. And we'll talk about that next week, actually, as well. We've just run out of a bit of a time, but there's a lot going on. And we'll talk about the W Series. My God, there's so much happening. It's great. <laughs> uh, Sarah McKenzie, as ever, thanks very much for your time here on The Big Red Bench. Thanks, sir. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. AFLW Ireland expert and coach Mike Coran is back on the Big Red Bench ahead of the new AFLW season to talk about successfully predicting Irish draft selections from last week's show, including Amy Mulholland. 
AFLW Season 7.0's fixture list announcement. 21 Irish players confirmed to take part in the new AFLW campaign and news of three Irish players arriving in Australia. It is that time of the week again where here on the Big Red Bench we are joined by our resident AFLW expert from AFLW Ireland, Coach of the Stars, and clairvoyant, dare I say it, after last week's predictions about the draft. Uh, Mike Curran joins us again here on the bench. Mike, how are you? Very good, yeah. The only thing I'm sorry about is I didn't do the last no, last week after <laughs> I was talking to you. We did a really good segment last week, a really informative segment on the draft. And we you picked out three people who might, uh, who weren't guaranteed, but might come through on the draft and might get picked up by franchises. Three for three, Mike. And of those three, the headline act definitely in the story and everyone has been talking about is Amy Mulholland. What, what a story. Oh, look at it. It's brilliant. It's it's one of the stories of the draft altogether, not to mind the Irish story of the draft. And I suppose, look at, we had a look at some players. It's a complete lottery. There's literally hundreds of girls nominated for the draft. Nobody knows where anyone's going to go. But these were the players that have been shining across the last season. We've been keeping an eye on them. And yeah, what a story for Amy. She obviously from Armagh, from the Fork Hill GA Club up there, moved to Perth in 2020 for non-football related reasons. Started playing AFL locally with a local club there, Wimbley Amateurs, just for something to do. In her first season, she kicked 48 goals in 12 games, I think, or something outrageous like that. 2022 rolls around, she gets elevated up to one of the state league sides there with Subiaco Lions. Uh, has another stormer of a season and she goes into the draft. I mentioned that she'd be surely on the radar of West Coast Eagles and Fremantle Dockers. And lo and behold, Fremantle Dockers selected Amy at pick 83 in the draft. To huge excitement and surprise, no more for herself. There's, I suppose we've all seen on social media the great moment where yeah. Ash McCarthy actually captured her being announced. And how fantastic is that? That Ash Mack was there, a good friend of Amy's up in Perth. Um, obviously, now they'll be on opposing clubs. But of course, Ash, we mentioned last week, was one of the only two players to be drafted prior to this. So she captured the moment. It's gone viral. It's absolutely brilliant. She's drafted. And the following day, she was down to training with the Fremantle team. Uh, so how exciting, brilliant. An extra player in the draft that was a surprise and that brings the total number of Irish players to 21. Yes, and I saw on your AFLW Ireland account across all social media channels, if you're not following it, you should be. Um, you listed off those 21 accounts, those 21 players. And isn't it just amazing, Mike, after everything we've been talking about in the preseason, it's, it's, we're nearly at the end of preseason now at this stage, but everything that we've gone through, everything through the draft, everything through the new franchises coming in, in time, we will look back on this, six-month period has been one of the most historic for AFLW, I would imagine. Is that a fair comment? Oh, very fair, I think, yeah. It, look, so much has happened so quickly and so many momentous events have happened at once, but look, to come out with 21 players um, from Ireland heading into AFLW Season 7, that's absolutely fantastic. There's 21 players across 12 teams. We're going to have our work cut out to try and keep an eye on them all, but it's it's brilliant. It's exciting. Um, momentum is building. Excitement is building. There's players from all over Ireland. There's players in the clubs all over Australia. So, so much for everyone here at home to look forward to and support when the season kicks in in a few weeks. Indeed. And when the season kicks in in a few weeks, August 25th, to be absolutely precise about it, because we still hadn't drawn breath from the draft. We still hadn't drawn breath from all the Irish players that were announced when the AFLW issued a big statement with their blockbuster opening round of fixtures, including some absolute humdingers traditional opener between Carlton and Collingwood, but a rematch of the grand final between Essendon and Hawthorne, which will be something else, to put it mildly. Um, as well as that, before we focus on the actual first round of games, Mike, 
the AFLW have also, um, in that statement, talked about all the different things they're going to do, the positive things they're going to do with AFLW throughout the season. And there's some absolutely brilliant initiatives here. Oh, for sure. There's so much to take in here. Look, we've got our 10 rounds of fixtures issued already. Um, so much to look forward to. As you say, you've got that blockbuster opening round, which you can touch on again in a second. Some great matchups there. We've 18 clubs taking part for the first time. All 18 clubs will take part in indig- indigenous rounds, which will take place across rounds three and four. We have the first ever AFLW Dreamtime match this season. We've got four new expansion teams playing their first ever games. We're going to have major derbies and crosstown rivalries now in every state. Uh, and these games played at massive stadiums at the Sydney Cricket Ground, the Gabba and Brisbane Optus Stadium in Perth, Adelaide Oval. Um, we've got some AFLW games going out to regional towns, so that's great to see as well for community football in Australia. Uh, we've got the Toyota Good for Footy round taking place in round six, and that's going to celebrate a hugely successful year of community football across the country. We've got Pride round in round eight. We've got Friday night footy this year, which is going to see double headers every Friday night with men's and women's games. And that is absolutely huge. So there's, there's going to be a double header every Friday night across the 10 weeks with a main AFL men's match. And, and then on the Saturday games in September, they're left as floating fixtures, again, to maximize the opportunity for double headers uh, throughout the AFL men's final series. So loads of opportunities for um, double headers and to maximize crowds, games to be played at massive stadiums. It's incredible. Yeah, so much to look forward to. Yeah, and let's let's give the AFLW a lot of credit here, Mike, because they've gotten the fixture list out early. They've gotten uh, in; it's there in black and white of what's coming. But they've also announced all those magnificent initiatives that you talked about. I think the GA could take a leaf or two out of that because just here in Ireland, I know there are some similar types of initiatives. But even during the Championship round, it's something they could look at. Definitely ladies football and camogie. But let's go back to that first round of fixtures starting on the Thursday, the August twenty fifth. It ain't that far away. Uh, Carlton and Collingwood kicking it all off on the Thursday night, followed immediately. The following evening by Adelaide Crows and Melbourne on Saturday, the Kangaroos hosting the Gold Coast Suns, the West Coast Eagles hosting Port Adelaide, Sydney hosting St Kilda, and then Essendon and Hawthorne. And how many times down through the years have we said that about AFLW, Essendon and Hawthorne? What, what, what excitement that's going to generate. And then on the Sunday, the Western Bulldogs and the Giants, the Lions hosting Fremantle and the Cats taking on Richmond. Of that first round, there are some unbelievable, and there's some traditional matchups, but there's also some really intriguing ones. What kind of games there leap out at you, Mike, as the ones that you're most looking forward to already? Oh, look, at you, you can pick the whole lot from at this stage because there's so yeah. much Irish interest, but like straight away, you've got Carlton versus Collingwood. That's the traditional first game of the season across men's and women's and has been for years. So we're going to see Ashton Sheridan and Sierra Rowe out on the first game of the season on Thursday the 25th. Friday then, straight away, a grand final matchup, or a rematch from last year, Adelaide versus Melbourne Demons. Absolutely amazing. We have Adelaide, Ailish Constein and Neve Kelly, the first time there'll be two Irish players with the Crows facing up to Melbourne, who will have Sinead Goldrick and Blaheen Mackin from Armagh playing together for the first time as well. That's unbelievable. I'm looking forward to that one already. Roll on to Saturday, North Melbourne versus Gold Coast. We're going to see potentially Vicky Wall and Eric O'Shea playing their, their first games. Uh, West Coast Eagles versus Port Adelaide. Ash Mack back in action there for West Coast, hopefully. Then you've got Sydney Swans versus St Kilda. So we have, of course, Grace Kelly playing in her new colours for St Kilda and joining up with Clara Fitzpatrick, who's also returning this season. So two players to watch out for there. And then Essendon versus Hawthorne, one of the big, massive rivalries in AFL across the years. Both expansion clubs, both playing each other for the first time. Already the fixture is only out 
less than a day and they're already calling for this game to be moved to Marvel Stadium because wow. of the anticipated demand uh, and crowds expected at that. So that is terribly exciting. Then Western Bulldogs taking on the Giants, of course, Cora Staunton and Breed Stack both returning for the Giants. Brisbane versus Fremantle, that's a cracker. Orlo Dwyer for Brisbane and Fremantle Dockers now with three Irish players. Unbelievable. Anya Tai, uh, Orla Lally and of course Amy Mulholland who we've just mentioned and the round um, is closed out by Geelong and Richmond and of course uh, Rachel Kearns for Mayo returning for Geelong this year. So uh, interest in almost literally every game as far as I can see there across the first round and that's the way it's going to be across the whole season. So um, very exciting. Some great matchups there and multiple Irish involvements in most of those games. Yes, I was just thinking the same thing before you said it as you went down to each of those games beautifully. Like there's interest of an there's an Irish level of interest now in every bloody game. And I say that in the nicest Australian language uh, accent that I could possibly muster because this is what we want. We want to see the Irish players in these games. But there was a time when it all started off, Mike, when there was only a handful of games that we would focus in on. This year, we're going to have to watch everything. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, even last season, we were able to scratch off at least one game every weekend that there wasn't Irish involvement. But you've, you've only got pairs of 12 teams. But because there's nine games every round, you potentially will have involvement in almost every game every weekend. Um, if not, definitely possibly eight of the nine games. So there's going to be action going off all over the place. It's going to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But how brilliant is that? And what's that going to do for the growing interest here? only um, drive it up even more. So as you say, there's players all over the country and, and excited fans now in every county watching out for the Irish players. I'd say there'll be a lot of uh, alarm clocks being bought to get up in the middle of the night to watch these games. And hopefully, uh, in fairness, that we see all the, the games coming back on TV with Sportagic, Virgin Media, BT Sport, um, so that we get to see some deferred games highlights every Monday, every weekend. And of course, we continue to monitor very closely the whole thing on our social medias and on the Women in Sport podcast. So expect wall-to-wall coverage. Yeah, it's going to, the year is going to fly. I mean, like I'm looking at the final round on October 28th. That's just going to absolutely fly, as you said, and as you said correctly, every week here on the Big Red Bench uh, with Mike Coran. And if you want to get all the latest news from Mike, AFLW Ireland on across all the social media platforms is where you'll get that. We spoke about the Irish players that are going to be involved with each of the franchises. Um, while all this has been happening and the statement has been coming out, the fixtures have been announced. Anya Tighe and Anya McDonough are on their way to Australia and Neve Kelly has already landed at the Crows, Mike. Yeah, we saw Neve land at the Crows. We saw her new teammates meet her at the airport, um, as we've seen with some of the uh, players across the last couple of weeks now. Anya Tighe is in the air to Fremantle. Anya McDonough, we mentioned last week that she was suitcase ready. Her visa came through. I think on Monday morning and she had a flight booked for Tuesday evening. So she's out, out the gap as well, straight down to Hawthorne and raring to go. Delighted to, to join up with our new teammates. So excited to see her land down there. Ailish Constance also after flying out in the last day or so as well, back to Adelaide. Uh, so yeah, lots of activity in terms of the players returning. We've seen um, the likes of some of the Craig Starsevich return coaching to Brisbane Lions this week after um, a few weeks away. So it's getting serious on the pitch. There's been a couple of weeks of preseason already, but a lot of the senior players are returning. The Irish players are coming back. The senior coaches are coming back. So from here on in, it definitely is down to business now. They have a fixture. They've got something to aim for. And by my calculations, um, we have exactly seven weeks until round one from this podcast going live. So that is going to fly in. My God. Okay. Well, look. Already, now we've got our fixture list. Now we know what's happening. Now we know all the players that have been signed up and preseason is in the throes of preseason. It's even coming to an end, you could say, at this stage. There's so much to look forward to before 
uh, the big kickoff, Mike. And every week between here and then, we're going to have stories and storylines and news and updates to come. So uh, make sure you, you keep it here on the Big Red Bench and the Women in Sport podcast. But for this week, Mike, Karan, uh, once again, thank you for your valuable and expert insight. And we look forward to talking to you again next week, man. Absolutely, Jerry. Look, let's get our head around this. In 10 rounds of footy, there's going to be 90 matches. 90. <laughs> that 9 0. Uh, Roy Scheider famously said in 1975 in Jaws, we're going to need a bigger boat. I think we're, we're going to need a bigger podcast. Throwing finals, which we haven't even talked about tonight, there's going to be four weeks of finals as well. So we are at 100 games plus in season seven. So that is, that is a, hell of a, lot, a hell of a lot to get our head around, but we're going, to give us, we're going to give it a serious rattle. We certainly are here on the big red bench. Definitely, I cannot wait. Mike, once again, mate, thanks very much. Thanks so much, Jer. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork Camogie Seniors suffered a frustrating one-point defeat to Tipperary in their final group outing in the Glendimplex All-Ireland Senior Camogie Championship at Parky Ring last weekend. Already through to an All-Ireland semi-final, I caught up with Cork Senior Manager Matthew Toomey, Maeve Cahalan, Amy Lee, Laura Hayes, Hannah Looney, Libby Coppinger, shortly after full-time. Uh, Maeve Cahalan, obviously disappointment for Cork today, losing by a point to Tipperary, but you're in an All-Ireland semi-final. Is it a case of just putting this one to bed now, getting down to the training, out of the training ground and just working as hard as you can between now and that semi-final? Yeah, look, I mean, um, immediate reaction is obviously disappointment. Um, we came here today to win. Um, we knew what Tipperary were going to bring, you know, it was, it was all or nothing for them. Um, they really threw everything at us. Um, I mean, it's great preparation now, I suppose, going into the semi-final. Really had a tough game today. Um, so all preparations now for the next three weeks. Uh, looking forward to the semi-final. Yeah, it's not like I mean. I think th- does the fact that you were in a semi-final is that something that you, it was in? The, it wasn't that it was in the back of your minds, but maybe if you had to play for a semi-final place, it might have been different. Um, probably not. I think we did. We still wanted to come out today. You know, give a performance. You know, every game um, before a championship is so important. Um, so obviously we didn't we didn't kind of come out here today um, a bit lax, but you know maybe maybe it did show a bit today out on the field. Tipperary just seemed to want those 50-50 balls more, those rough balls. They they seem to come out with breaking balls. So um, you know we'll learn from this as well. Um, for the next three weeks, our focus will be on the semi final, and um, you know we'll we'll know what we did well today, what we didn't do well, and there's still stuff, plenty of stuff to work on. And just finally, from your own point of view, you and Libby the dual role you're still involved in all these championships but you're, you're managing it now it doesn't seem like there's going to be any fixture clashes thankfully but you've come through it and you, does it help having the football sometimes to think on and just be able to switch off from the camogie yeah I mean it, it's great to, you know we're so lucky to have the two um, we're so lucky to be in such a great position with the two we've Mayo now next week um, had a tough game against Waterford last weekend um, you know, so every game you go out at this time of the year is really tough um, so we've a week turnaround now to that, to that game and then a semi-final the following week so hopefully you know if, if we do win next weekend we will have uh, games week on week but you know it's great it's a great complaint to have Good stuff best luck for the big red bench Thanks a million um, Laura Hayes obviously disappointment with losing tip by a point but there's not learning semi-final to prepare for is it the best possible preparation that you've a lot of work to do now? Well, I wouldn't say it's probably the best possible preparation, but I suppose we were just talking about it there and it allowed our make or break us. And look, we're just going to have to put the head down for the next three weeks and learn from what happened today. You played in patches, but not for the full 60, whereas they did. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we never probably got going to our potential, and we know that now. And it's probably something we've been struggling to do all year. So hopefully by the time the semi-final comes, we can give a good 60-minute full performance. 
that's the thing. There was a, there were positives to take from the game, even though you did lose out, and this was a team fighting for their lives as well, and that's something to take into the semi-final. Yeah, massively, and sure, look, like there was positives. We had a good start, and I felt like after Tipperary got that goal, we responded well. Um, a few new players got a game as well, or the Catalans actually coming in, and she did well today. So look, there's positives to take from it, but overall, there's a lot to improve on. There is a lot to improve, and I can see you're disappointed, but it's good that the whole team, everyone is disappointed, and that's what you need to fuel you over the next three weeks. Yeah, look, that's massive, and I think if we weren't disappointed, that would be more worrying. So I suppose it's just about driving it on now and making sure that you know we learn from it and drive it on in the semi-final. We wish you all the best in that semi-final. Well done. Thanks a million. Amir Cork captain, uh, Amy Lee, obviously real frustration and disappointment from Cork, Cork's point of view. Now, you didn't play today but from the sideline, I mean, it's frustrating enough to be involved. Was it more frustrating to be watching on? Ah, yeah, it's always frustrating to watch. And I actually went up behind the goals myself to see what the lads are looking at. And look, I suppose you can't win them all. And look, it's it's probably a reflection on ourselves, how we've been training and stuff. We just know now we have to up it from here on out before the semi-final. That's what Matthew has said straight after the game. Okay, You're going to have to put this one to bed as quickly as you possibly can because there is a semi-final to play for. Does that, in effect, coming into the game, do you think that was in players' heads now? Not necessarily in their heads during the game, but that the cushion of knowing they were playing the semi-final? Ah, yeah, definitely. Look, came in probably a small bit complacent and we shouldn't have. Um, we need to treat every game like it's, it's our last game and the performance out there probably wasn't what we would consider Cork standards. So again, look, we need to just look at ourselves on when we go training now next week and go from there again, set ourselves up for the semi-final in three weeks. It's a, it's a very self-motivated group though, and this is, as I said to some of the other players, this is the serious fuel you need now. It might have been the kick up the arse that you needed to realise that there's more work to be done. Oh yeah, definitely, look. It's always nice to get a kick up the backside to be like, cock yourselves on. Um, it's just all about now switching switching the, the loss into positives and working on what we didn't work on out in the pitch today. Yeah, and look, just finally, look, this group of players, you know, they don't need an, an awful lot of coaching when it comes to the motivation and what they want to get, what they want to achieve, what you want to achieve this year after last year's disappointment in the All-Ireland. Serious three weeks ahead, but no better group of players to get stuck in. Ah, yeah, exactly. And look, the experience that, that we have on the panel, like Ashling, Hannah Looney coming in, I think that the younger players are here, Saoirse, they've really stood up, like, and there's no doubt Tuesday night we'll, we'll hear loads of voices and look again we'll just drive on and it'll be ourselves pushing it more than anything else thanks very much Amy no matter <laughs> uh, Hannah Looney obvious disappointment for Cork today uh, losing by a point to Tipperary but in the grander scheme of things there's an all-earned semi-final to prepare for now these next three weeks are crucial just to right the wrongs of today yeah not gonna lie very 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 disappointed um there were some pockets of great play from us, but overall it was poor, it was average, going through the motions, and it's just not good enough for Cork standards. Um, but as you said, like there's no point dwelling on it now. We've an All-Ireland semi-final in three weeks. It might just be the wake-up call we needed. You know, I think we really need to regroup as a bunch of players and, and focus for that. You know, the group, the group games in general were probably 50%, 60% going through, uh, going through the motions. So, you know, there's big things we need to work on in the next three weeks if we want to perform in an All-Ireland semi-final. But look, we're Cork. I've no doubt we can do that. Um, Tipperary are fighting for their lives today, so they had to win. Whether that'll be enough for them or not isn't the point. But would it have been a different mindset if you were in the same boat? Uh, look, yeah, I suppose in many ways it was probably Tip's All-Ireland final, you know. Uh, and to be fair to them, they brought it today. You know, they had a... They really did step up to it, and were we off the mark? Obviously so, it showed today. So, 
look, you know, fair play to Tip. Um, they're right back in the fighting. It'll be interesting to, now to see how the draw goes. But uh, a lot of work to do now in Cork for the next three weeks, I think, is the bottom line, yeah. Just finally, it's great to see you back from the United States. Lovely time I know you had over there. But you're involved with two, two setups, the football and the hurl, or in the camogie. Um, you're get, fitness-wise, you seem to be hitting, you seem to be back to your best today. But uh, how do you feel about playing for both? Yeah, exactly. I had a, a great uh, nine or ten months over in New York. It was um, a really good experience uh, personally, and I, I learned a load. But I suppose there was an itch for the camogie and the football when I was away. So I was really delighted uh, to be able to come back and to come back into the champion set up, championship setups. Look, obviously, I was trying to keep fit while I was away. But look, it's a different story when you're out in the pitch playing for Cork. But uh, I'm really happy to get 60 minutes under the belt today. So I think that'll just stand to me now going forward, you know, in both courts. It's great to have you back, everybody, in the Big Red Bench. It's delighted to see you. Best of luck in three weeks' time. Thanks so much, Derek. Thanks. Uh, Libby Coppinger, Tipperary winning this one by a point. Uh, frustrating more than anything else? Is that the overriding emotion after it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I suppose we're kind of just looking at ourselves. Obviously, Tip were a, a really good team, and they were always going to put it up to us, but we didn't um, come out here and give the performance we wanted to today, so that's a lot of disappointment. But um, I suppose the only good thing is we, we still have another game to go, you know. Um, it's just about picking ourselves up over the next three weeks and getting ourselves right. Would it? I mean, it's it's hypothetical, but if you needed to win today, would there have been there would have been a different mindset, possibly a different approach? Looking back on it now, having the cushion of the All Ireland final appearance, maybe that was the part part to play today. Yeah, maybe. I suppose like we were all the week, we were talking as if it was a knockout game, but I suppose subconsciously maybe we were. It was in the back of our head that we um, we were true. But look, um, that's. That's our own fault. We can't blame anyone else for that. Um, so, yeah, look, it, it will be knockout the next day. So if we don't deliver, it's um, do or die. So. Um, I would imagine this will up the training. Not that it wouldn't have been upped anyway coming up to an All-Ireland semi-final, but it will refocus minds. It will refocus attention on what needs to be done. From yourself, Maeve and Hannah's point of view, does being able to switch out just for a while with the football, does it actually help in the build-up to these things? Um, I think so. We'll have to look at it that way anyway. Um, I suppose we're fortunate, the three of us, that we can. We have another game to look forward to now next week. But I suppose with the camogie as well, you know, the other game is just around the corner. So we can't be dwelling and feeling sorry for ourselves for too long. It's Tuesday night, we're back training and I'm sure it'll be hell for leather again. Yeah, something your manager said as well. He, he has no doubts that this team is capable of bouncing back, that this team is very self-motivated. You obviously want to right the wrongs of last year's All-Ireland final. So now you have three weeks to get it right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I suppose, yeah, we'll just focus on ourselves now for the next three weeks. We'll try and park this as much as possible, but use it to fuel us if we can. And whoever we get then in three weeks, will um, please God be ready for them. Well, all the best on the big red bench. Thanks, Abby. Thanks, Jer. Uh Cork senior Camogie manager Matthew Toomey, 117 to 116 defeat in the Glen Dimplex All-Ireland Camogie Championship. Matthew, obviously disappointment at, uh, at losing the game. Could I put it to you that because Mines were already not on the semi-final, but knew they were in the semi-final, that, did that have some sort of effect today? Um, I suppose it did. Um, there, there was definitely none in that, but it's, it still doesn't excuse the performance, especially in the first half. We were very disappointed. We were very, like, we knew temporarily their lives depended on winning today, like, but the way they, our lads responded was, was very, very poor in the first half. We thought we addressed it the second or the half time. Um, we came back into the game, a draw. We could have squeezed it out, but we didn't. And you know, it's, it's just very disappointing the performance. Like it's 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 not the way we wanted to go into the semi final, regardless of you know us being there already. Just we weren't happy with it today at all. Maybe it's a thing bring us back down to work now to go away for the next three weeks, no one nail into it again because something has to be done now.
Yeah, you played well in patches, but it wasn't enough over the full 60. You couldn't do it together on Tipperary. We're just a bit more clinical in front of goal, yeah? They were, yeah. Like, they, we went, I think, in the point down at half time, we were very lucky. Yeah. It could have been six or seven, you know, and it would have been justice to them the way they played. We, we kind of, you know, and, and I haven't said that. And we had three goal chances we could have taken, but we just didn't, we weren't at the races at all today. Everything about the game, I just, you know, there's very few players you could say, look, they did themselves justice, unfortunately, but that's the way it is, you know. Like, if you don't have the desire, don't have the fire in the belly, you're not going to do anything. And unfortunately, we were lacking that major way today. Yeah, frustration is clearly the overriding emotion for everybody associated with Cork. But there's an All-Ireland semi-final to get ready for. There's an All-Ireland semi-final to prepare for. And all minds must change, focus on that now, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. We look at wounds now tonight. Like, and, you know, I'm come back to training on Tuesday night. And like, uh, I can imagine what's going to happen inside the training. Like, but... Um, we have to do it, you know. It might be the kick in the backside we needed, like, but certainly, you know, there's going to be a lot of improvement there. Have to be made. Uh, thanks very much, Roger. Thanks, Joe. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Corks Red FM. I call columnist Mary Newman. Join me on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to discuss last weekend's Cork Senior, Intermediate, and Under 16 results and what might lie in store for the remainder of each panel's All Ireland Championship campaigns. Now, delighted to be joined by the Echo Camogie columnist Mary Newman to review a very, very positive weekend for Cork Camogie at Under 16, Intermediate, and Senior level. Uh, Mary, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? I'm glad you are. After being praying now and also, we're all, I'm all holy and all good. <laughs> good stuff. At least one of us is holy. Um, let's start with the uh, with the Cork seniors because you were in Parky Ring last weekend to witness Tipperary's one point win. Cork already through to the semi finals, but I guess one of the big stories coming out of that game, unfortunately, Mary, is not so much the result or the fact that Cork were disappointing and Tipperary deserved to win. But Ashling Thompson's red card after the final whistle has ruled out one of Cork's most versatile and important players at the moment anyway has ruled her out for the All-Ireland semi-finals. Yeah, well, Jar, I suppose you were, the, you were the man that actually told us about it because you were nearer to the that side of the pitch mm. and um, yeah, a bit of a shocker really. Um, and as you say, ruled out, I was supposed a red card is an automatic suspension. It depends on what your report is for, I suppose, and how they will um they will deal with it. I mean, you know, you don't know what the referee is going to report or what he's going to look like, as you say, there is there is an avenue, I know, that if you do receive a red card, there is an avenue for appeal where or you can just take your as the man said, you can take your uh, your uh, medicine. And um, yeah, I think like having been on the route with a few uh, very good, quite little ladies who made mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the, there is a process that has to be gone through, and you you can, as I say, you can appeal it, and you will get a hearing. You're entitled to it, and you're entitled to you know see can you do anything with it. And um, as I say, it all depends on what's in the report. But I suppose looking at this stage, like that there will be something in it because I suppose they don't flash the red cards. Easily, yeah. which some of them do, I suppose. But like, as I say, people were, there was people at the match actually astonished to hear it later on that mm. there was a red card in the match. But as I say, we don't know what he's going to report, but he did flash a red card. So it's yes. a pity. It's a pity. It is a pity you know, because she's been one, to me, she's been one of the most consistent car players to the point where Matthew Tumi was able to move her out of midfield and put her centre back and she's played just as well there. Yeah, and I always think her reading of the game, no matter where she plays, she reads the game. Do you know, she's a great player to read the game. Now, I was actually talking to somebody last night, they were saying to me, she's wasted back there, what are they doing with her there? But I said, it's not so much 
what is she doing? She's doing the job and she's doing the job right and she's doing the job efficiently. And that's why she's there because she's a player who knows how to read the game, knows how to play in the position. And like I always think your centre-back is one of your pivotal players because you can control the game from centre-back. And you need you need a strong player there. You need and her experience alone with that young, very very young Cork team, like she's going to be a massive massive loss if, as we think, that something will mm. uh, come come out of this. Um, she'd be a massive loss if she were to be suspended for the match. You know. Yes, so, and like, it's uh, as disappointing as the performance was, Mary, on the day. And look, Tipperary, let's not take anything away from Tip because they deserve that win. The other side of this now is that Cork will, may well be going into an All Ireland semi final without Ashley Thompson. They'll definitely be going in without Orla Cronin, and that's another huge loss to Matthew because they are two very experienced players. Yes, indeed, and I suppose Orla really hasn't featured at all really during the league either. Um, she's been out. I think she's been plagued. What I can gather, she's absolutely been um, plagued with injury. I think from the start of the year, she was out injured, and I suppose we're hoping. There was always the hope, I suppose, that you'd have players of her calibre back, but she doesn't seem to have made it. I suppose we're at the latter stages now, and I suppose, you know, if she's not going to feature, it's going to be, as you say, another very experienced player gone from his setup and like going in with old players of that calibric experience, it's going to be very, very hard. You're down to the business ends now, you're down to the Galways and the Kid Kenny's and the, you know, the ones. Do you know that you want to be knocking off their perch? But, you know, to be without two players like that is, you know, unbelievable. Like, so, you know, let's hope that, I suppose, that we just hope and put faith in who's there and we hope that they get over the line and make it to the final, you know? Indeed, we will. Cork, of course, were already through to the Glen Diplex All-Ireland Senior Championship semi-final before that game against Tipperary, despite the loss, but they will go in, as we now know. It looks like we're two of their more, most experienced players. Also, last Saturday, Mary, the Cork Intermediates under Trevor Coleman continue their excellent season, bouncing back from a defeat up in Derry to put 5.21 on Kildare and 4.13 of that coming from two really class players. Yes, indeed, and it was a great performance. And I suppose it was a performance we expected. I mean, we had a similar result in the league when Cork played Kildare. Um, I suppose Kildare are one of the teams who probably would benefit from playing down maybe in um, the lower division. They they played in the intermediate, um, in Division 2 in the league as well, and really didn't make any impact. And I suppose they will be in the playoff for the relegation place. But I, I think really if they were down lower in a lower way, it would probably benefit them. But it was a great performance from Cork, as you say, Derry Challenge the week before, like was they're probably the top teams, Derry, Cork, you know, the Galways and they're the ones I suppose you're looking at to where to, you need to be getting the, the big results. But um while the the result against Kildare wasn't unexpected, it was a welcome result and, you know, great performance. So it was good to see that, and they're through now to a semi-final, and I suppose one step away from Crow Park, and they'll go for a title for leather. Um, it will be interesting to see what the quarterfinals throw up and who they get. But I suppose they will avoid, probably be hoping to avoid Galway, which they will avoid them now. I think as Galway came through, I think in the other group. Yes. So, um, you know, Galway carrier there, I think there was with Mead, but like Cork have a great chance of winning that All Ireland, you know. Thought they'd win it last year, but they didn't. But uh, mm. yeah, I think they have a great chance of, you know, could be themselves and Derry maybe in the final. And that would be great, like, because I still think Cork would have more in the tank 
if they were to play Derry again, you know, we must remember Joanne Casey only played for half the match last week, uh, this two weeks ago, because um, she had been sick the week before, so she only came on at half time, I think, in Derry. And I mean, she's having a brilliant season. Like some of her scores, you saw them last Saturday, they were top, top notch, and she's a brilliant player. So um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be pinning my, my. Uh, I suppose my uh, colours are red and white, so basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my colours and saying that they'll be in Crow Park and hopefully the seniors as well. But yes. um, yeah, I'd be very disappointed if the intermediates don't get to the final. I think they're good enough to get there, and good enough to win it. So hopefully, yeah, and they certainly are. Four goals from Clean O'Callaghan, thirteen points from John Casey, as you mentioned there. She really did bounce back, yeah. having only played a half against Derry. Two excellent players, but a very, very good team performance, and well done to Trevor and that team for getting to the semi-finals. Finally, Mary, the Cork under 16s under Donny Daly, having lost to Galway and lost pretty comprehensively in the Tesco under 16 All Ireland A Championship. Bounce back and bounce back in style. Three fifteen to two six up in Callan against Kilkenny. That's the best way to come come back from a defeat, isn't it? Yeah, it was great. And I, you know, the week before, like I said to you, I was disappointed in them. And, and I, I don't know, was it just nerves? Now, Gal, as I said, Galway were superb. Can't take it from them. That uh, two weeks ago, they were excellent. But it was great for the girls and the confidence that win is going to give them. And as I said, they'll come out of the group and. Galway play Kilkenny this weekend. If Galway win, they'll top the group. But you never know if Galway are beating Cork might top the group. But, um, it, you know, it was just a brilliant performance. And, like, to score that much in, above in Kilkenny against the team, Cork actually beat Kilkenny in last year's final. Now, although there would have been a lot of changes, like, everywhere at that age level. But still, you're playing the team you beat in the final last year and you want to get what, over on them again. And it was great, a great performance and a great um, result for Dory and the lads there and well done to them and hopefully now an All-Ireland semi-final for them as well so it would be nice we'll quarter-final or semi-final we hope to, mm. hope to the semi-final so we'd be looking out if Kilkenny could beat Galway now and Cork then would have the better scoring difference Cork would top the group so that would be great <laughs> It would indeed but it's excellent stuff three yeah. good three um, look a defeat and two good wins at the weekend but all the Cork teams still yeah. in their respective All-Ireland Championships that's what we'd like to see you can yeah. find you can find Mary Newman's writing on Camogie on echolive.ie in the webs- uh, on the website anytime at all and all the way through the week in the Echo newspaper as well Mary as ever thank you for your expert opinion No bad Joe thanks a million we'll talk next week Stoney Daly's Cork Under-16s travelled to Callan and defeated Kilkenny to get their Tesco All-Ireland Under-16A Camogie Championship campaign back on track last weekend. I spoke with the Cork Under-16 manager about his side bouncing back from their recent defeat to Galway and what lies in store over the coming weeks for his young panel. Now we're delighted to be joined here on the Big Red Bench by the Cork Camogie Under-16A manager, Donny Daly, who's back with us on the bench following his sides. Uh, Tesco, All-Ireland Under-16 Camogie, 3.15 to 2.6 victory away to Kilkenny on Sunday afternoon. A game Cork had to win to progress in the All-Ireland Championship, which they won last year. They got the result and they got a very, by the sounds of it, a very, very impressive performance. Donny, first of all, congratulations. How uh, happy and relieved are you that uh, Cork put in such a fantastic performance and win today? Hi, Joe. Um, they say a week is a long time in politics. It's, <laughs> it's even longer in Chile or Kowalski. Um, yeah, like if you had, if you had rang me this time last week, uh, I don't think I would have even answered the phone. Um, <laughs> t- 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 today, uh, the girls did an awful lot to prove. Um, we, we, we didn't do ourselves justice last week. The girls knew that. Um, we, we lost by 11 points to a, a good Galway team. Um, we missed up during the week. We we we, we 
had a meeting on Tuesday. We didn't we didn't catch a hurley on Tuesday. We spent two hours talking, talking about what went wrong, and why why they didn't perform. Uh, Thursday we did our kind of normal warm up. We had a chance. We did some yoga, and then the girls came out today and they did what they were able to do, or they've been doing all all, all season and um, in challenge games and, and in the monster. And um, they were they were phenomenal. And um, the played, which I suppose look, they I would say abandoned, but certainly it was like if the shackles were off. And um, they we had to get a performance, not just a, a win, to be honest. Um, because the, the nature of the defeat last week meant that you know we had shipped eleven point we were eleven points uh, ne- negative uh, in score difference we we had to win by at least twelve points today and no we didn't tell that to the girls we just went out looking for a win but you know we we won by twelve points which means that we are now um, uh, assured of a qualifying no matter what happens next week okay yeah because it's important just to note for people listening who haven't been necessarily following us on the podcast with you um, the three highest seeded teams were put into the same group in this under 16 championship yourselves Galway and Kilkenny now you lost as you said last week to Galway you bounced back by beating Kilkenny today or on, on Sunday afternoon um, by doing by doing that by 12 points, what it now means is the final group game between Kilkenny and Galway. Kilkenny have to beat Galway by 13 points to knock Galway out, but you are definitely through to a quarter final, And that's the key thing from Cork's point of view. It may not have been the way you wanted to get it done, but you got it done. And can I just put it to you, Donny? I mean, permutations aside, the, the, way, the manner in which your players responded today, because everybody has an off day and they're only 16-year-old girls at the same time, but everybody has an off day at inter-county level. The manner in which you travelled up to Kilkenny and a really, really good Kilkenny team, a contender for the All-Ireland, and put in that performance and, you know, pucked over 3.15. I mean, that's got to give you and the management team a huge amount of satisfaction that they listened to you during the week, clearly, and they went out and they got the job done. No, the season isn't over. You've got to reset and go again. But that should tell you a lot about the character of the girls you've got. It does, it does, Ger. And look, we made changes from last week. We... We made four changes, and we told the girls last week we could have made 15 changes. And look, the four girls that, that didn't make a starting 15 this week, uh, you had Avian O'Neill, Kate Fennessy, um, Avon Collis, and Amy McCarthy. They, they, I suppose, they suffered from the performance last week. They didn't start. Four other girls came in, Aoife Cottrell, um, Kara Murphy, Lucy O'Connell, and Kara Rice, and who they performed outstandingly. But the other four girls who who who, who last up place last week came came in, and they were outstanding. Like they didn't lose the head, they didn't sulk during the week. They know that the decisions we make that's for the betterment of the team, and they put great shifts choosing towards the training. They participated well, and that's what we that's what we need, and that's kind of the character that these girls have. The whole the whole thirty that. Look, they know that, you know, if they go out and they play well, they'll get their place back the final week. If, if they have enough day, you know, it, it's up to some other, some other girl to come in. And we keep saying to them, look, you need to keep the girls honest. So, so like if, if, you're, if you're on the team, you need to keep, keep, keep the, 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 the other girls honest uh, in training, in, in your attitude. And like they did it today. Like it, it was, like, they were, like, in fairness, like, we couldn't play in Hoyle enough now after bouncing back from, from what happened last week. It's a sign of a good character and a good team. Indeed it is, and that's a good way to sum it all up. Cork, 
uh, under 16s defeating Kilkenny 315 to 26 in the Tesco All Ireland Under 16 Camogie Championship. Because of that, Donny Daly's side are now through to the knockout stages, irrespective of what happens next weekend between Galway and Kilkenny. Cork into a quarter final, and they'll have to wait to see who they play in that. But for now, we will talk again, Donny, which is a lovely thing to be able to say to you here on the Big Red Bench. So, congrats to you and your and uh, your management team and your players. Thanks, thanks, Joe. After last week, I didn't think I'd be talking to any of you ever again. But look, it's it's uh, yeah, it's a week. It's, it's, it's a long time, long time in sport. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork manager Shane Ronane and captain Maura O'Callaghan join me on this week's Big Red Bench to look ahead to Saturday's TG Car All-Ireland quarter-final tie with Mayo in Ennis. We'll also hear from Cork under-16 manager Dominic Gallagher as his young team prepare for next Wednesday's All-Ireland LGFA under-16A decider against Dublin. Now we're delighted to be joined here on the Big Red Bench by the Cork LGFA senior captain and Maura Abbey captain Maura O'Callaghan. Maura, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? Very good, manager. How are you? I'm grand. Thank you for asking. Um, the reason you're on is because Cork, uh, the Cork seniors, are gearing up for their TG Gahar All-Ireland Senior Football Championship quarterfinal against Mayo in Ennis uh, next Saturday evening. So uh, preparations obviously have ramped up since the Waterford game. How have preparations been going for you and for the panel? They've been going well, Gerald. Um We've had a good, you know, nearly two weeks together to prepare. And, you know, we're lucky in that. There's a, only a few knocks and niggles, nothing major. So we should be going in with, you know, full selection of players available to us too, which is really important. Um, so look, we can't have any complaints about our preparation so far. Yeah, one of the things I mentioned uh, to your Morn Abbey manager and your, your Cork senior manager, Shane Ronan on this week's uh, Big Red Bench was the fact that over the last three matches, it's been a pretty settled starting 15. And I would imagine um, whilst, you know, there's still an awful lot of competition for places, there's a huge amount of talent on the bench. That would help it's obviously helping the defence. Having that half-back line with yourself and Melissa Duggan and Laura Mahoney settled into that half-back line, how much of a benefit has it been to play alongside those two players, just from your own point of view, over the last three or four matches? Yeah, it's very good. I mean, you know, you're getting used to, I suppose, um, thinking about what the other player might do. And, you know, that all helps 100%. And, you know, I'm lucky to be flanked by really pacey wing-backs. So, um, you know, they're always able to nip back in and go forward, you know. So, look, it is really good for us to be able to play together. But, you know, in the same breath, there's, you know, no team picked. And, you know, everyone is just out there chomping at the base of training to try and put their stamp and get their pace on the team. So, you know, you can't rest on your laurels either, which is great as well. How important is the experience you would have picked up more both at club and inter-county you know, championships, reaching the business end of championships in, in, in years, in the last couple of years? How important is that going into a, such a, you know, it's going to be a difficult game against Mayo this weekend? Um, yeah, like that, that experience is really important. I mean, you know, coming into games where they're knockout championship now, like I suppose you, there is a danger for there to be a bit of nerves there, but look, nerves mean that you care about it as well. So look, it's, it's all part and parcel of it really. Um, you know, it's important to just understand, I suppose, that you just go out there and perform like any other training or, you know, any challenge match or anything. You're just, you know, the basics don't change. There'll be, will be a bit of nerves, but I think that is, you know, definitely important to just grasp that. I suppose that like it is at the end of the day, like any other game that you've been playing for years. And, you know, I've, I suppose I've learned that with club and county as well. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. It's going to be very important because experience, whatever about youth coming through and all the pace that you've got in that Cork team right now, Michael Moyles and this Mayo team um, have been around the last couple of years. They know what it's like to reach the business end of the championship. They had a great run in the National League and although they came up short to, to Dublin, 214-17 the last day out, you and the Cork players know that you know the likes of the Cafferkey, Sinead Walsh, Taran Needham, there's a lot of talent in this Mayo team and they'll be gunning for Cork, so Cork need a full 60-minute performance. Definitely, yeah. Like, I mean, there's a serious, they're mayor quality team, you know, there's no denying that. Um, I think the scoreline probably flattered um, Dublin as well the last day. Like, you know, we watched the match ourselves and, you know, they got a couple of goals towards the end, but it was tit for, like, it was tit for tat up into that. So they ha- they have, are having good form. So we do know that we, we will need to really perform at our best um, to be able to get what we want out of the game. Um, the fact it's in Ennismore, have you played in that venue before? Um, I'm actually not sure. I'm pretty um, rubbish with remembering <laughs> if I played somewhere Sorry. or not. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's a. I'm actually very happy with the fixture. You know, it's a grand time yeah. in the middle of the day. You know, we won't have to have too early of a start, and you know, it's yeah. fair for both teams. You know, it's in the middle. You know, middle ground. So can't really complain about the fixture. So looking forward to that. Yeah, and momentum has been building because um, coming out of the National League, as I was saying to Shane as well, you don't actually get that many competitive games to gel as a team. I mean, you obviously spend an awful lot of time together, the six-week training block after the end of the National League, before the Munster Championship and then the All-Ireland Championship. But actually on the field in competitive games, you know, it's not uh, compared to the men's game, the, the, the ladies' football championship because of the reduced season. It is quite tight, but you don't actually get to play that many games at a competitive level together. So any chance you get in those A versus B games and the training matches, I can imagine how intense they are. I've seen them myself at the Cork training sessions. Um, you need to build that momentum, but you're doing that, I think, uh, Mara, to be fair. And you have been doing it, you know, coming into the and out of the of the Donegal game and certainly last day against Waterford as well. You must be pleased that there's progress, but still a lot of work to do. Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, we're happy we've got what we wanted out of the group stages. You know, we beat Donegal and we beat Waterford. Although it mightn't have been pretty at times, you know, we got what we wanted and we had plenty to work on too. I think you don't want to to peak too early, really. And then, you know, you might run a bit flat later on in the year. So look, as you said, momentum is building and we're happy with where we're going anyway. Indeed, GR, and where you're going is Ennis this Saturday, July the 9th for the TG Car All-Ireland uh, LGFA Senior Football Championship quarterfinals, Cork versus Mayo. And on behalf of everybody here at the bench, Mara, best of luck to you, the players and the management team. Thanks, Mel. Now we're joined here on the Big Red Bench by the Cork LGFA Senior Manager, Shane Ronane, ahead of Cork's All-Ireland quarterfinal clash with Mayo on Saturday in Ennis. Uh, Shane, you're very welcome back to the bench. Hi, Jock. Um, an easy one to start, I suppose. Uh, you're coming out of a 210-15 win over Waterford. How have preparations been going for the Waterford ga- or for the Mayo game? And uh, what kind of positives were you able to take from that match? Yeah, look, I suppose we're what we're taking from I suppose in our two games, Jor, is that we've we're playing well and for long periods of the game, but we're I suppose we're switching off then as well. And I think that's I suppose something we've been working on for the last week or so, uh, to kind of address that those issues and you know that trying to get more maybe more of a consistent performance in the game because when we are playing well we're playing very well um, but when we do switch off then you know I think those patches in the games you know in the Waterford game there was a five minute period uh, just after we scored our first goal where Waterford actually scored 1-3 uh, without reply and I suppose that's something we've been working on and trying to address and look there's other things we've been we've been trying to fix as well but you know the players have responded very well um, they're taking on board uh, the things we're trying to change 
and we're look we'll be very happy with preparations with the last uh, week or so um training has gone very well um just fierce competition for places i think everybody everybody apart from Claire O'Shea, uh who's out with a long term injury it has been back you know fully training and i think you know there's going to be a, a scrap for spots for the for the jerseys on on Saturday Absolutely, because I'm just looking at who you brought on against Watford. Katie Quirk, Ashley Hutchings, Emer Scally, um, Shauna Kelly and Rachel Lee. I mean, like that alone tells you that, I mean, are you you must be happy with the depth of the squad um, that you have, Shane, because you, you're going to need game changers at some stage in the business end of the championship to come on and change the game. Absolutely. Like, you know, your your team that finishes needs to be as strong as the team that starts really, Joe, and... Um, you know, we're very happy with that. And look, there's other players who didn't get a run, you know, the last day, like, you know, Hannah Looney is back in the back involved as well. You know, she's pushing for for game time as well. She's played very played very well at training, training, training very well. You know, and as there was five different subs used the last day than what was used the uh, you know, the the previous day. So look, we're very happy with with the panel we have. Um, you know, they're they're really pushing hard and I think that, that you know there is huge competition for places. Nobody's you know, nobody's, nobody's guaranteed game time with us and I think that's very, very good because everybody's, uh, I suppose, pushing really hard and there's no one resting on their laurels. They're all, you know, going for it at every training session and, you know, taking on board the way we want to do things and those people who are doing those things are, are probably getting more game time than others and, you know, I think there's players there who are really, really, uh, you know, striving to get better and I think that's that's, that's all going well, going, you know, going well for the future because we certainly know against Mayo next week that um, we're going to need 20 players because that's the way the game has become. As I said, we need girls who are on the pitch to be finishers, you know, make that impact. You know, you, you see that again today with the with the Limerick hurlers, um, you know, the, the the impact off their bench. It was huge again, like coming down the stretch. And I think that's very, very important in the modern game. It certainly is. Um, Michael Miles in charge of the Mayo team, like he's he knows, you know, he knows the game. He knows certainly the business end of the the All-Ireland Championships and I know they came up short against Dublin in their last game 2-14-1-7 but this is a Mayo team with some serious players they got the Caffrickies especially Sinead Caffrickey and you know you're going to have I, I, I've seen incremental improvements in all your matches this year Shane which is the really good thing but you're right a full 60 minute performance from here on in is what's needed but you know what you're going to get from Mayo like they're not going to give you anything easy so you're going to have to be ready to meet that challenge yeah, look, Mayo have had a, I suppose, a good year. They got to the league semi-finals and they played very well against me for most of that game. They were leading at halftime. Um, you know, they put in a big performance in the Connacht final against Galway. We actually played them uh, just before the Connacht final in a challenge game. You know, and I think it was a super game. You know, down below Limerick, and you know, we're very, very aware of what they bring to the table. They've got a lot of experience. They've got a lot of younger players coming through as well. Um, you know, talented players all over the squad, all over the pitch, and you know, players come off the line. So. You know, Michael and the lads there have been doing very good work the last couple of years, and I think, you know, they they'll fancy their chances against us because you know they they can see that you know there's places where they may possibly exploit us, and you know we just got to be very very ready. You know, the I think Dublin, I suppose the score and maybe flatter Dublin a bit the last day. Um, you know, there probably wasn't that much between the teams. Uh, Dublin were slightly better, but we know that we're going to have to be very ready for for Mayo on Saturday because they do provide a, a huge opposition, and they don't fear Cork. You know. Well, you look back to 2017 when you know they beat Cork in their learn semi-final. You know they've been, you know they've been there thereabouts the last few years. So we're very aware of what the the task that lies ahead of us. You know, but look, we feel 
uh, confident in, our, in our, uh, where we are ourselves at the moment, but just trying to get that more complete performance there is a big thing. Yeah, and that and that is a fair point. You've been consistent on that in fairness all all year. And like just finally, Shane, um, ahead of facing Mayo, has it helped that you've pretty much had a settled fifteen for the last two or three matches? It took a bit of time to get the players into the positions and have a look at them. And I think people forget that you don't actually have that many games, competitive voice to actually get a team and settle it when you come in as the new manager. But the last two or three games, you've definitely had a settled defence, and I think that's helped big time with the defence because you're shutting teams down for the majority of games. I mean, from you and your management team's point of view, knowing you know the, the bulk of the of the starting fifteen. Granted, there's a lot of competition for places still, and players need to be on their guard. But the fact that you've had a settled team for the last three matches, I think, has really helped you. Yeah, look, I suppose we've tried to keep changes to minimum because you know players are playing very well, and you know, as you said, defensively wise, you know, when you get trying to get defensive patterns, um, you know, on the spot and as well, and the attacking patterns to play, you, your players need to know each other, and I suppose somebody. You know, the teams we've been putting out the last couple of weeks, I suppose, you know, they probably hadn't played together before. And as you said, we've had very little, I suppose, competitive matches this year. We've only three games in the league. Um, we've had, what, five, like four championship matches, you know, so that's seven competitive games this year. Um, you know, uh, we've had a number of challenge games, but still nothing beats the, 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 that, that, that thrill and that, I suppose, that, um, I suppose the, the challenge that, uh, a competitive game gives you so it has been difficult that way but I suppose the last couple of games we have been a little bit more settled especially defensively wise and look we'll we, you know we're trying to we'll probably keep changes to minimum next Saturday you know look, there is, but there is as I said there's a lot of competition for place and I suppose those players we see that ourselves are training in games among ourselves that you know the players are really uh, putting up to each other and you know our defenders are, are you know some of them as I said there before they love defending and uh you know, that, that's that's really good and hopefully they can bring that forward into next Saturday. Indeed, hopefully. So uh, this Saturday in Ennis, Cork take on Mayo in the TG Gar All-Ireland Senior Football Championship quarterfinals. From everybody here in the Big Red Bench, Shane, the best of luck to you and your team. Thanks very much, Joe. Now, the Cork under-16s are preparing for their All-Ireland under-16A final against Dublin, which takes place on July the 13th. And ahead of that fixture, Cork and Dublin going head-to-head. Dublin having come through their semi-final over Roscommon, 7-9-1-12. And Cork coming through an absolute cracker with Cavan winning 3-12-2-12. We're delighted to be joined on the line by the Cork under-16 manager, Dominic Galler, who's back again with us here on the bench. Dominic, first of all, hearty congratulations on reaching an All-Ireland final at under-16A, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do. But talk me through that Cavan game as as best as you can remember it because it, it sounds like it was an absolute cracker. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah, super result. Sure. We're, we're delighted with the results. Um, it was yeah, it was a, a very tough game. Um, we could, yeah, like Kevin had walked through Ulster. We knew they, they were quite good, but we, you know, we weren't quite sure how good they were. Um, we just prepared ourselves as best we could. Um, we we won the toss and we played with the breeze. There was a bit of a breeze on that night, not not very strong, but you know enough to give an advantage. And um, Kevin got the first three points in the first first three minutes, three four minutes, and we were under pressure straight away. And we realised, yeah, geez, we're in trouble here. You know, we haven't assessed this right at all. But the guys responded very well. We scored one fight and without reply. And it was a bit um, tits to pass in the first half, and again. We did seven points up at the time, fine three seven to one six, if I remember rightly. And um, we were happy with that. We were happy with the way things were going, the way, particularly the way the girls had responded. Mm. You know, we'd be put under the cart. We could see it happen. We nullified their their threat up front, and um, 
got her own game up and running and then uh, faced into the second half and uh, again they was gonna you know tip that they kept them at arm's length you know throughout they got a goal midway through the, the second half which brought brought it back to a two point game was seven or eight minutes left and again we responded very well. We got three, we got three points in a row and um so we were five points up with maybe two minutes left. Picked up a, a strange thin binning I'd, I'd call it, and um, we were down to 14 for that and, and for the five minutes of injury time. And um, we just managed to hold them at bay, you know, but performance-wise, we, we were delighted with like, the character that the girls showed was um, was very impressive. We obviously posted 3.12 ourselves as well, which we were very happy with. With a good spread of scorers, so yeah, overall, like very happy with the performance. Um, and uh, so, like what, what we pointed out to the girls before the game was like the one point victory was was enough in, in any semi final. We take that, and you know, we, we came out with the victory. That's that's really all we needed to do on the day and get into the final. That was the, that was the focus of the day, and, and we got there. Yeah, lots of things to work on, but I'm um, very happy with the result. Yeah, it is an excellent result because, as you said, Kevin had dominated the under sixteen above and up north, and had come out of it and, and looked like a real it was going to be a real challenge. I assume you and your management team were delighted that your players got this challenge before heading into face Dublin because had you waltzed through it, um, you know, you, you need that test. You need, as you said, you need to see your players under pressure and how they handle it because they're going to have to handle that same kind of pressure, if not more, against the Dubs. Yeah, I suppose like you know, you know. Winning well is great, and it's and it's and it's and it's all um yeah it's great, and that we'll we'll take a big win in the final if we can get it. But um, you know, to to see your team respond with character and and, and come out of a, a tough hard battle, you know that, that that's very satisfying. And I suppose yeah, we're, we're, like we're, we don't we don't doubt the character of of our girls, um, and that's a nice position to be in. Um, but look, it's a, it's a, it's a tough test in the final, um. Dublin have have come through very strongly. Like Roscommon won their first Connacht title, and you know, you might think you know Roscommon might not have been that strong, but like Galway had won the previous three All Irelands, mm. so Connacht has been very strong. So, um, we don't doubt that that the challenge against Dublin is going to be huge, and it's a completely different challenge, and we've it all to do again. And um, I'm not sure how anyone could gauge who'd be favourite or whatever, but. Uh, we feel we'll, we'll be up against it, but, but we have to do our own stuff, you know. And we're we're happy with that. We're we're delighted to be there. The, the plan was that uh, there'd be no holidays booked on the last of the 13th of July, and that's that's the way we've all worked it. So um, that's where we're we're playing right up to the 13th of July, which is the end of the intertwenty season under 16, and um, we're delighted to be there. How have you and your players adjusted to playing midweek? Because it sounds in my head like a stupid question. But most 14s and 12s, and 12s and 14s, and you would have seen this yourself coming through the intercounty setup, tended to play at weekends. You tended to play blitzes initially, then individual games. I'm just wondering for the mindset for a 16 year old, you're obviously handling it very well because you came through a tough test on a Wednesday night. But the fact it's going to be a Wednesday night final again, you know, is, 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 that, a, is that a consideration or am I, am I overplaying it? Well, I, no, it, it is it is different, you know. But I suppose it, it's the same for both teams, so that that kind of balances it out. Like it's it's def, it's very frustrating from um, you know the point of view of trying to promote the game. Um, you know, these girls are sixteen years of age, and yes, their, their parents and their, their their close family members will will be at the games, and with a good crowd came up 
laugh went right up to me now, and and it was great sport and we're very vocal in the crowd and we're delighted with that. But it, it, it's very difficult for, you know, uh, their friends, family, you know, mm. I, I can take time off work to go to the match, you know, and it's, you know, and anyone who's just trying to go and support, um, you know, a team and it's maybe a daughter's friend or whatever, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's not promoting it. So it's, it, I, I can't figure out why it has to be played on a Wednesday. Now, the only thing I can think of is there's so many games on the weekend mm. that ladies football are, you know, they're thin at the ground as regards, you know, people who can run these matches. But my suggestion would be put it in front of a senior match, you know, played mm. as, you know, I've seen it in the past, I think, uh, Cork, I think Shane O'Neill was the manager of the under 16 Cork team that won in All Ireland after the Cork senior match. And it was, um, yeah, a great occasion for those girls, you know, as well as being in All Ireland final. But, you know, they, they were the, 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 the headline act for uh, um, the Cork seniors. So it, I think it should be played at the weekend. So it, it, it's difficult on a Wednesday, like, you know, your travel up. The day is very long for the girls. Um, but it is the same for both teams. But it, but it does, yeah, it does change the mindset to, you know, having to play the half a seven as on a Wednesday night and mean it. Like the guys were home very late. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a little bit unfair, I think, but uh, that's what it is. But as I say, for both teams, so we just go with it. Yeah, and that's fair. It will be the same for both teams on Wednesday the 13th of July when Cork and Dublin clash in the 2022 All-Ireland Under-16A Championship Final. Um, that'll be a 7.30 throw-in and everybody here on the Big Red Bench wishes you, Dominic, your management team and your players all the best. You've been really good to us this season and we hope you bring home that trophy. Thanks very much, Gary. Appreciate it. All the support. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.